We're going to continue our series from the book of Philippians this week. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8 is where we'll be this morning. So if you've got a Bible, get over to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. A few weeks ago, our family was watching a television show on Netflix. It was called Amazing Interiors. Some of you have maybe seen this show, uh, but if you haven't, let me just briefly describe it. Uh, The idea is that it's people where the outside of their house looks normal, just like a normal house. But on the inside, they've done something amazing to the interior, right? So they've somehow taken a lot of their money and a lot of their time and transformed the insides of their house to fit their conception of what uh, a good life ought to be. So for example, there was one guy that he had turned the inside of his house into a house for many, many cats. And so uh, there were cat walks and cat climbing items all over the house. He had 22 cats and he'd turned his house into a paradise for the cats. He said something like six or eight cats would sleep with him in his bed every single night. That is his definition of the good life, right? Having cats everywhere. To me, that sounds like a living nightmare, actually. But that was his good life. Uh, There was another guy, some of you might relate to this one more. He had turned his basement into a clubhouse to celebrate the Chicago Cubs. Now, you may or may not relate to the Chicago Cubs part, but the baseball part or the sports part, perhaps, it was his team. So down in his basement, he had a full bar and restaurant dedicated to the Cubs with uh, signed baseballs and bats and jerseys. And he had a big TV room where you could watch Cubs games on movie theater seating. And he would have people over and have these big Cubs parties. That was his idea of the good life. There was another woman who uh, had turned everything inside her apartment pink. The walls, the floor, the bed, everything was pink. She only wears pink. In fact, I I tried to find a picture, but it's even hard to tell what's going on in the picture because it's just all pink. And her idea of a good life is everything is pink. So she actually said one time she went out on a blind date with a guy and she said, what do you think of my pink dress? And he said, oh, I'm colorblind. I thought you were wearing gray. And she broke up with him. She didn't go out with him again because she said, I need somebody who appreciates the color pink. It's deeply important to her because that's her good life. All right now, we laugh at some of, those, uh, some of those ideas that those things would create a good life. But if we're honest, all of us have some conception of what a good life is. We have some conception of what constitutes the good life, right? So you think about it and maybe you say, the good life to me is I achieve some dream that I've always wanted to achieve. Maybe there's a job, you always wanted it, and you now have it. Right? Or maybe you don't. Maybe you missed it and you're kind of like, if I had gotten that, I would live a really good life. Or maybe it is some idea about your family. You say, I just, the good life to me is to have a good marriage and kids who love me and a family that is thriving. That's a good life. Right? Maybe a good life is uh, you are healthy. You have no health problems. Maybe a good life is you've got a certain type of home with a certain level of comfort. And you say, if I could get there, I would have a good life, right? We all have some idea in our minds of what the good life is. Every single person in this room has thought at some point, if I could get there, I would have a good life. 
I want to suggest this this morning as we dive into Philippians chapter 1, because I think this will be critical to our uh, sermon and to our passage this morning, that when we think about the good life, there are a couple of questions uh, that are underlying our conception of the good life that we aren't even always consciously aware of. In other words, there are a couple of questions we are always asking ourselves about our lives, and we evaluate our lives on that basis. First one is this, does my life have meaning? Does my life have meaning? Am I doing things with my life that are purposeful? In the final analysis, when I look back on my life, will I say, I mattered. I did things that were significant or important. And secondly, does anybody love me? Or another way to put it is, do I belong? Am I a part of a community where I know I'm loved, where I'm able to express love, right? Significance and belonging. Does my life have meaning Am I loved? Do I belong? And most of us, if we're honest, and we think about what is at the root of our conceptions of the good life, those two questions are at the heart of our conception of the good life. And the problem is that all too often we chase things to answer these questions that don't satisfy or provide an ultimate yes. Right, we want to be able to answer yes to these questions, but all too often we latch on to things and chase after things that don't allow us really to answer those questions with a yes, at least not in the long run, maybe temporarily, but not in the long run. Right, and, and the beautiful concept we're going to see in Philippians 1, 3 to 8 this morning is Paul is going to say, if you really want to be able to answer these two questions with a yes, right? It's not found in some earthly dream. It's not found in a home. It's not even found in physical health. Life, life's meaning and life's belonging ultimately are found by those who pour their lives out for Jesus Christ. If you want a life of meaning, you want a life of belonging, pour your life out for the gospel. You'll remember as we started the book of Philippians last week, what we talked about was the overarching principle of the book is that Paul is exhorting us to pour out our lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to give our time, our money, our energy, and our abilities to sharing the message that Jesus died and rose again so we can have life. And so all who believe in him can have life. And what we're going to see in Philippians 1, 3 through 8 is there's a depth of community and a depth of significance to our lives when we invest our lives in the gospel, a depth that we cannot find in any earthly thing. That's Philippians 1, 3 through 8. And really where I want us to push ourselves this morning is simply to be asking this question, where am I finding meaning? Where am I finding belonging? Where am I looking for those things? Am I looking for them in Jesus or in some earthly promise? Let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, then this morning. Let me read the passage, and then we'll talk about it for a bit. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. 
For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul says this, when we pour our lives out for the gospel, first of all, we are going to find true community. When we pour our lives out for the gospel, we will find true community. As you read this passage, you can't help but notice that the passage just oozes with Paul's affection and love for the Philippian church. Remember, we talked about how the book of Philippians is a thank you note, because as Paul is in prison... The Philippian church, he he will say it at the end, they were really the only church that sent money for his needs while he was in prison and sent money to further his ministry later after he got out of prison. And so he writes this note to say thank you to them. And in the midst of this note, he expresses such a warmth and regard and a love for these men and women because they participated with him in the gospel. And it's their participation together with him in the gospel that results in that affection and that community and that love that I think a lot of us are longing for. Our world is a place where every single person, I'm going to guess every person in this room on some level, is looking to belong. I'm going to guess that every single person in this room, maybe even, maybe even today, but if not today, at some time in the past, every single person asks the question, really, does anybody care? Does anybody love me? Do I have anybody in my life who would notice if I weren't here? All right, maybe you came in here this morning with those types of concerns. And I think, I think those types of concerns are at the heart of what we long for in life. If you're of a certain age, like I am, you will remember a TV show from the 1980s uh, called Cheers. Uh, Cheers was set in a bar in Boston. And uh, most people, if they think about it, they actually remember the theme song before they remember the show, right? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. You want to be where people see our troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name, right? And you, you remember that song, right? Because the song itself speaks to something about every, everybody. We want to be known. We want to be loved. And yet, in the final analysis, it's still a show about a bar, right? It's still a show where you have people thinking, if I sit side by side with other people, night in and night out, and drink alcohol with them, I will find that community my heart longs for. Right? And so there's still a sadness, even in the show, that, that, that underlies the concept. Right? And maybe it is that, that you're not looking for that community in a bar, but maybe you're looking for that community online. And so you go to Facebook because you want to connect with others, and yet somehow you come away feeling less connected and more isolated than you did before. Right? Maybe you came in here this morning. Because you're hoping to connect with others. Maybe you've come in here week after week and hope to connect with others, and yet uh, you sit and you listen to the message and you sing the songs and you walk out and you never really connect. Right, and what Paul says is that that longing of our hearts to connect is not found primarily in chasing this connection for connection's sake, but actually is found when we stand side by side with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and say, we're going to partner together in the gospel. Right? Some of us have uh, everything we could possibly want and more in life, and yet we still feel alone. Right? Some, some of us, you, you may have a family, you may have friends, 
You may be with people all the time, and yet you still feel alone. I was remembering a few months ago, about a year or two ago, I guess, I, was, uh, I had to go to Beeville, Texas. And uh, Beeville is about where you think a place called Beeville would be. It is nowhere that you would go unless you're going there on purpose, right? You're not just going to uh, happen through. But I happened to go there uh, for a funeral, but I got there a little bit early. I was by myself and I needed to eat. So I got onto to Google and I said, what are the best Mexican restaurants in Beeville, right? And I found this restaurant and it looked like a dump on the outside, but I went inside and the food was amazing. It was wonderful. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, wow, the salsa is an explosion of flavor in my mouth. The enchiladas are amazing. But I looked across the table and there was nobody there with me, right? To talk about the salsa, right? And that's a small tragedy. I had all that I wanted at that table and nobody to share it with. I ran across a survey not too long ago by a a life insurance company, Cigna, and they found that 54% of Americans right now, right now, would say they're deeply lonely. They feel isolated, alone. They're around people all the time, but the people near them aren't necessarily with them. I actually think that number's probably low. Loneliness is an epidemic. Isolation is an epidemic. Division in our country is an epidemic. Most of us feel like there are no guiding values that hold us together, right? And here's what Paul says in Philippians 1, 3 through 8. He talks about participating together in the greatest mission of all, to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And here's what what we see in the passage is that when we link arms and stand side by side with brothers and sisters who are sharing the gospel, there's a community that we can't find in any earthly endeavor. He uses a word six times in the book of Philippians, a Greek word that that means to share or fellowship. There's different forms of it in the book of Philippians. It's a word koinonia. The word is actually found twice in our passage for this morning. One of the times it's found is right here in verse five, in view of your participation in the gospel. That word participation, some of your Bibles may translate it as fellowship, right? Koinonia. The other place is in verse seven. He says, you all are partakers of grace with me. Partakers, you work together, you share together in the defense and confirmation of the gospel of grace with me. And in verse eight, that's why he says, for God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, right? He uses this word fellowship. Now, when you think about fellowship, at least in a church context, most likely what you think about is something like this. The church has a what? A fellowship hall. Where is the fellowship hall always located? Next to the kitchen, right? Because fellowship is we sit down in a room and we eat food together, right? Maybe we do this with food that is made in that kitchen or maybe it's a potluck and we bring food. I was talking with uh, one of our other pastors about this yesterday and he said, you know, whenever I think about fellowship in the church, he said, "I, I think about this. Now, nobody knows what this is. Okay, but this, as soon as he showed me the picture, I said, I've eaten that (laughs) at church fellowships, right? When I was a kid, somebody would always bring this. I don't know what's in it. I don't know what it is. It looks like there are olives at the top and cheese and uh, that's, that's all I can tell, right? That's about all I can tell is in there. But, but when I think about fellowship, that's what I think. People bring food and we sit around a table and we eat 
this kind of thing, right? That is, that is a church fellowship. Now, the reason I share that is because with those kinds of concepts in our head, it's hard to get at what Paul is really saying because the word koinonia, fellowship, has this idea of a deep sharing, a partnership in a purpose that goes beyond yourself, right? That's what fellowship is. So Paul is saying fellowship is we get together and we lock arms and we say we are going to bring the gospel to the nations. We are going to share the gospel in our community community and around the world. And we share in that task. So he says, you sent money for that task. That is fellowship. You shared the gospel and defended the gospel on my behalf. That is fellowship. Uh, if you think about the very first of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, if you've ever read the books or seen the movies, what's it called? The Fellowship of the ring. Now you hear that, and if you've got that concept of church fellowship, that might sound strange, right? There's no potlucks in there that I'm aware of. Uh, they don't gather around and all bring, you know, bowls of chili. What is it that they're doing, though? The fellowship of the ring is a group of people, men, elves, whatever, gathered together for a purpose to defeat Sauron and save Middle earth, right? The fellowship of the ring. It has an active meaning to it. That's the fellowship that Paul talks about. And he says, that's where community is found. That's where love is found. That's where affection is found. Right? And so, so it may be that, that, that you come in and, and you still feel isolated in the church because you haven't engaged in fellowship as Paul describes it that you have not said, I'm going to participate in the ministry of the gospel because I'm a part of the church. It's not just for the people on staff, but the mission of the gospel extends to me as well. Some of the deepest, deepest relationships that I've ever had the privilege of developing in my life came around partnering with others in the task of sharing the gospel, in the task of making disciples. This is why if you've ever been on a mission trip, you, you know that you might develop very deep and lifelong friendships with people over the course of a week or two, just spending that week or two. And it's not just because you're in a bus together for 46 hours or whatever it may be. It's because you're engaged in a meaningful task, an eternal task together. I have dear friends still to this day from, from other periods in my life whether it be in college or as a young adult, where we were locking arms to share Jesus Christ. And I'm still close with some of those men and women today. The community that we're looking for is found in pouring out our lives for the gospel. But Paul also says when we pour out our lives for the gospel, we will find eternal impact. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day, until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's what, what Paul is saying. Now, this, this verse six, you hear this verse all the time. And typically the way it's used is God is gonna, gonna perfect you, right? God is working in you to make you more like Jesus. And he's gonna keep working in you to make you more like Jesus until Jesus returns. Right now, in the flow of the book of Philippians, that's not untrue, right? That, that is true. God is working in you. God wants to make you more and more like Jesus. God wants to develop you into a person of character. That is true, okay? But that's not exactly what Paul is talking about in the context in verse 6. The work that Paul is talking about in verse 6 is this work of sharing the gospel, of the advance of the gospel to the world, 
through God's people. Because he says, you Philippian church, what did you do? You gave a gift. That gift contributes to the gospel. You participated in it. And he says, I'm confident that what God began through you, he's going to continue. The gospel will keep going forth. You are making an impact in a task that God is doing that will last for eternity until the day Jesus returns. And then the impact of participating in the gospel will last forever and ever and ever. If you want to have eternal impact, if you want to be able to answer that question, is my life significant? You want to answer that with a yes. Pour out your life for the gospel. Invest your time, your money, your energy, your talents and abilities in helping people know that Jesus died and rose again so that they can have life. Because that's what will last, is the impact of the gospel on the lives of men and women. This past week, I was listening to a podcast in my car as I was driving around, and I happened to hear an interview with um, a man named Frank Borman. I had never heard of Frank Borman before, but uh, Frank Borman was an astronaut back in the 1960s. He was the commander of Apollo 8, so one of the Apollo missions that preceded the moon landing where Americans actually stepped on the moon. So Apollo 8 went and orbited the moon sort of in preparation for the eventual moon landing. He was the commander of that mission. And it was an interesting interview. Frank Borman is now 90 years old. And they were asking him, so was it just amazing to go out into space when you were a kid? Did you just dream of being in the stars and being in space? And he's like, no. I never watched, he's like, I never watched Star Trek. I think it's the dumbest show on the planet. I never watched that show. It's like, I don't have any romantic ideas about, about space. He said, I went because I wanted us to beat the Russians to the moon. I thought that was important. And once I knew we were going to do that, in fact, he said, once I knew we were going to do that, I didn't really want to go back. So actually he retired after Apollo 8. He could have been the commander, in fact, was offered the command of Apollo 11 and he turned it down because he said there were other people that wanted it more. And it was interesting to listen to this interview because the interviewer was like, this is the astronaut interview I've always really wanted because there's no pretense. It wasn't the party line. They said, well, well, what was it like being in, in, you know, zero gravity. And he goes, well, when you'd let go of an object, it would just kind of hover there, you know, in front of you. And they said, was that just amazing? And he goes, it was interesting for about 30 seconds. <laughs> and then it just, it just was like, we just got used to it. And they're like, well, did anything interest you, excite you about being so close to the moon. And he goes, there was one thing. He goes, one, uh, one time as we were orbiting, we came over this rise. In fact, the first time as we were orbiting, we came over the rise uh, as we orbited around the moon. And he said, we saw this blue globe in the sky. And uh, this picture was actually taken from Apollo 8. You may have seen this photo before. One of the most famous photos of the earth from the moon. And he said, the moon was so barren and lifeless. It wasn't a place you would want to live But he said, the earth was so colorful. And he said, as I looked at it, here's what I thought. He said, I thought, everybody I love and everything that matters is there. And so they said, well, when when you got home, what did you tell your family about, you know, your time in space? And he said, well, we didn't really talk about it. It's like, what did you talk about? Well, I I asked my family, what did you do while I was gone? How are the kids doing in school? Right? I mean, it blew my mind. On the one hand, I was like, how unbelievable that you never talked to your family about going to the moon, right? 
But on the other hand, I, I couldn't help but think, you know, and I don't know if the guy is a Christian or not. I, don't, I really don't know. But I couldn't help but think, here, here's a person who intuitively understands what actually matters in life, right? He's reached the pinnacle of what most of us would consider his career, right? He's, he's reached the top of maybe a, a dream that everybody wants to have. And yet he says, everything that matters in my life is the people that I invest in. That I love. They said, you know, what are you doing now? He's like, well, my wife has Alzheimer's. We've been married for 68 years. I live here with her. I take care of her. That's my days. Right? Intuitively, he gets it, and I think we do too. That if we want to have an eternal impact, recognize that what will last forever, that's the people around us and the gospel. And the gospel will have an eternal impact in the lives of men and women. So if you want to do something that will last forever, invest in other people with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is talking about in verses 5 and 6. Next week, we're going to see his prayer for the Philippians. And this is interesting in verses 9 to 11. We'll talk about this next week. Paul is going to pray that they will grow deeper and deeper in their love of Jesus Christ. And I think the reason is because because Paul knows the more you begin to love Jesus, the more you're going to want to share it. The more you know Jesus, the more you're going to want to share him. Uh, If you're here this morning and you, you have not yet begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, what Paul would say to you this morning is that a life of significance and a life of love begins first in understanding who Jesus is and what he did for you. It begins in understanding that even though each of us is a sinner, separated from God and destined for hell, we deserve hell. God sent Jesus Christ, his only son who died in our place. He took the death we deserve and then he rose again and he defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated hell. And all who trust in him can have eternal life. If I say, God, I want to know Jesus and I want to spend eternity with you because I trust in him, you can have eternal life. And that's where life begins. And Paul knows for those who know Jesus, the deeper we understand that and remember that, the more we're going to want to share it. The other thing I love here is, is Paul promises, look, this is a work that's going to be completed. God will not leave the work unfinished. You're contributing to something that will last forever, where we will get to the throne of God one day, and we'll see men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation worshiping before Jesus Christ, people that God has brought to himself through the work of his people in sharing the gospel. Some of you have heard the old expression, uh, only two things in life are certain, right? Death and taxes. Very, very old expression. But if you're a Texan, there is one other thing that is certain, and that is that I-35 will always be under construction, right? It will never, never be finished. Um, I remember riding in the car with my parents on I-35 in the 1980s, and it was under construction. It is still under construction. They have signs periodically in different places on I-35. They say, someday you will love I-35. Until then, be, be careful, right? They move the signs around depending on where they're doing construction. You will never love it. It will never be done. It will never be finished. It will always, Jesus will come back and I-35 will be under construction, right? But God doesn't leave projects unfinished, right? He's not just, he's not just tinkering with this gospel project. He's not going to go, ah, we tried that. 
but we're not going to finish it. No, as we share the gospel, we have confidence that we're part of a task that God will carry to completion so that on the day of Jesus Christ, we'll be able to look and go, wow, God did something amazing in the way he brought it all together. And we have the opportunity to have an impact with our lives by participating in the gospel. So when we pour out our lives for the gospel, we find true community and eternal impact. So here's what I want to do as we close. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion. But as, as we close, I want to uh, I, I offer some opportunities to you because it may be you're, you're going, okay, I, I'm in. I want to I pour my life out for the gospel. I want to give my time, my energy, my money for the gospel so people can know Jesus. And you say, how do I do it? What are some avenues? I'm just going to provide a few this morning. um, And then there are a lot more. You can always go to our website, but a few that are kind of near and dear to my heart, as well as to Creekside. So let me just tell you a few opportunities to participate in the work of the gospel. The first one is this. Next summer, we are planning a mission trip through Creekside to El Salvador. Okay, that'll be probably in June. We're still sorting out the exact dates right now, but probably the first half of June, last I heard. We should have that nailed down in the next couple of weeks. So maybe as you're thinking through your summer, you may say, you know what, we have a vacation planned here or here, but I want to carve out a week to go, maybe go with your family. If you've got older kids uh, and you want to go with your spouse, go with your family and share the gospel and have an impact in another culture. Right. A couple of years ago, Creekside did a mission trip to Greece, and it was, it was one of the most powerful times in my life of being able to share the gospel, but also to develop some real connection with some men and women in this congregation, friendships that I still hold very dear. So consider that mission trip. The second thing I'll mention, um, and I've mentioned this to some of you guys already, we, we have an opportunity coming up this fall to serve and to share the love of Jesus within the school district here in College Station. So for the years that we have been meeting at Pebble Creek Elementary, it's been on my heart to constantly ask the question, how can we share the love of Jesus, not only with those of us who are here on Sunday morning, but with the people, the kids, the teachers, the administrators, the staff who are here during the week, right? And one thing that that has really um, been on my heart for many, many years is this concept that there is a very critical connection uh, in the lives of children between how they read and a variety of other factors in their lives, right? There's a, there's a huge correlation, for example, between how well they're reading when they're in second or third grade and whether they graduate high school. There's a huge correlation between how well they're reading or not reading at that age and whether or not they end up incarcerated at a later age. But even beyond that, from a spiritual perspective, what's the first step to being able to read the word of God and know Jesus Christ? Well, you've got to be able to read, right? And so it lays a foundation, not only for them to move forward in their lives, but to be able to move forward in their walk with God. So we've got a couple of opportunities uh, to participate this fall. One is this, we are going to have a book drive for children's books starting on September 9th. It'll be about three weeks long. We can bring brand new children's books. We'll drop them here and they will be given to kids who need them in our school district. There are some statistics and I can, I'll share more about this next week, but somewhere around two thirds of kids from low income households, two thirds of them don't have a single book in their house, not one book. Now think about your house and how many books you've got for your kids and imagine not one. Uh, in in middle class and upper middle class homes, typically it's twelve or thirteen books per child, 
right? So, so we want to help to, to bridge that gap a little bit. But then later on in the fall, also there's going to be an opportunity for us to uh, be able to read with and to some children in the school district who are learning how to read, to share the love of Jesus. All right, so can you give your time or 10 bucks, 20 bucks to purchase a book to share the love of Jesus? And we're going to continue to think about ways to have an impact in that way. Thirdly, join one of our volunteer teams here at Creekside. I've had some of you, a lot of you guys are on our volunteer teams already. I realize that. And some of you have told me, I've developed deeper community in the church by being a part of a volunteer team, helping create an environment on Sunday for people to worship Jesus, for people's kids to know and worship Jesus, for people to be greeted and welcome to find a place to park. Join one of our volunteer teams. You feel lonely or like you don't know anybody, joining one of those teams is a way to connect and also engage in a way that has an impact. We saw the video earlier for our production and worship teams. We definitely need volunteers there. And then lastly, in terms of money, our Every Knee initiative is still going on. Lord willing, the building will break ground within the next few weeks. Uh, But in that process, of course, uh, we are still raising the necessary funds, not only for the Creekside building, but for missions initiatives and church planting initiatives here and around the world. So continue to be praying about how your money and, and our money as a church can go toward the spread of the gospel. Again, Paul's going to say this, pour out your life, pour out your life for the gospel. We're going to celebrate communion as we wrap up this morning. And uh, so Kenny and the band are going to come back up as the men are uh, getting ready to come forward. Here's what I want to say about communion that relates to our passage from this morning. Um, The word communion, you may know this, it comes from essentially the word to have something in common, right? And uh, what do we have in common? By the way, that, that word koinonia, very similar, fellowship, in common, we share. What do we have in common? What are we celebrating that we have in common? We are celebrating that we believe that Jesus died for us. And so we're remembering his death and we are proclaiming it until the day he comes back and he's coming back because he rose again. So as we participate together in communion, it's an opportunity for us as a congregation together to affirm we believe in Jesus, we believe in what he has done so that when we walk out the door, we want to pour our lives out for the good news. We want to tell our friends, our neighbors, use our time, energy, money, resources for the gospel of Jesus Christ that we celebrate this morning. So as the elements are coming around, first of all, if you don't yet know Jesus Christ, feel free to let them pass. You, you do not need to participate, but take this opportunity to ask, is this the day that God would have me to trust in Jesus Christ? If you do know Jesus Christ, as they're coming around, take a moment as the elements are coming around and thank God for his grace in Jesus Christ. And then say, God, here I am. How will you use me? for the gospel. So let's think about those things as the, as the men come forward and we'll partake of communion in a moment. Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father in heaven, we thank you that your son, Jesus, died for us and rose again. We pray we would give our lives to the task of bringing that message to others. Father, I pray we would give our time and energy to knowing you in deeper ways so that we can reflect and proclaim you. We are so grateful. We pray all this in Jesus' name.